I'm Luz Rutia, and I'm on race and coronavirus because small business owned by immigrant entrepreneurs are among the most vulnerable in this economic crisis. My name is Alicia Villanueva, and I'm the owner of Alicia Tamales on Mayas, and I'm on, on race and coronavirus because uh, we want to keep uh, alive our business, and, and I want you know, all my employees to be safe. I'm Miko Chen, and I'm on race and coronavirus because businesses with diverse leaders are being disproportionately impacted and need our support more than ever. Welcome to Race and Coronavirus. I'm Levi Sumagaisai. And I'm Patty Navalta. Our guests today are Luz Urrutia, CEO of the Opportunity Fund, Alicia Villanueva, a small business owner, and Nico Chen, Venture Director at Gold Rush. Thanks for talking with us today. Alicia, let's start with you. You own Alicia's Tamales Los Mayas. Um, we know each other because I wrote a story about you last year about how you went from selling tamales door to door in the Bay Area to winning a big contract to sell your tamales at Chase Center, the new home of the Golden State Warriors. Since then, of course, we know that the NBA canceled its season in mid-March and your business has been drastically affected. Can you talk about how you've adjusted and whether you've been able to keep your couple dozen employees employed at this time? Yes, uh, you know about the, the Chase Center is really so, so sad and I really, I really missed, lost all my um, accounts that I had before. But we have to be creative, and with this uh, big challenge in coronavirus, I would like to say that we are not um, afraid, but we respect a lot, you know, working hard and be alive. But one of my really blessing things that I received on the, on the beginning was uh, one opportunity that Opportunity Founds gave me to me to serve everyday lunch for the students in its Bay Palo Alto. And honestly, that one really helped us a lot. And, and until now, we are not laid off any employee. And, you know, it's a huge, huge um, support that Opportunity Founds gave to me. And since the beginning, I think that right now I have like maybe five or five loans already with them. But they, they are supporting me since the beginning with, you know, with my, my first cargo band that I, I, I use when I grew up this catering um, our department. Mm -hmm. But right now about catering, we don't have anything. So it's like, you know, before we did like maybe 15, 15 uh, deliveries per day in the, all the uh, financial center in San Francisco in all the Bay Area. And right now it's like nothing. It's like we just have to be very creative to, to keep going with our business. Alicia, remind me again, how many employees do you have? Right now we are 20 in uh, full-time and five in part-time. Okay. And yeah, and right now I think that absolutely not going to lay off any of my employees. Uh, I think that first I will be the first one to uh, take my, my pay cut before I lay off somebody of my team. That's amazing that you've been able to keep your employees, Alicia. Yeah. 
Luz, I have a question for you. Can you tell us what Opportunity Fund does and how it's helping small businesses during this crisis? Sure. So Opportunity Fund, we are the leading nonprofit small business lender in the country. Our focus, the the organization really got started providing very small amount of capital, of loans, and financial advice, and recognizing that those two combined together really has amazing, positive, transforming impact in the lives of low-income individuals that are working hard to, to get ahead. Our customers, about 90% are minority, ethnic minorities, about a third are low to moderate income, and about uh, two-thirds are about uh, low to moderate income, and about a third are women-owned businesses, and most are immigrants or, or children of immigrants. And really what they all have in common is, you know, what you see in Alicia, a, a resolve that is endless, an ability to work, to pivot, to get creative, especially in crisis. And what's inspirational is that, like Alicia, she's not only worried about her own business, she's worried about how can she help and benefit her employees. And and that's what we've seen across the board with our small business borrowers. When the crisis hit, I think it, it, it hit us all very, very quickly, right? Nobody, there's been no training that any one of us had for, for what was ahead and what still lies in front of us. But I think one of the things that we quickly realized is that our businesses, because they are the most vulnerable, again, you know, minority-owned, immigrant-owned, low to moderate income, women-owned, they were going to be impacted just like every other business, but in their case, probably even more. And the reason for that being is that in many cases, we saw that the federal stimulus package was really not intended for these tiny micro-businesses and for the small businesses. It was more to help the larger businesses, more established, that have greater cash flow, and that have established relationships with financial institutions. Uh, A lot of our borrowers don't have big relationships with financial institutions. A lot of our borrowers are immigrants and they don't have the appropriate documentation. So they were immediately disqualified, particularly from the first round of funding under the PPP. When the second round came about, we obviously applied to become a PPP lender. We got approval. So then we were able to start helping more businesses. But in the middle of this, we knew that if we were going to help businesses survive like Alicia, we, we needed to launch our own fund. And that's what we did. Late March, in partnership with the Silicon Valley Community Foundation, we launched a $50 million small business relief fund racing philanthropy dollars from institutions and individuals to help us provide our existing borrowers with payment relief. So helping them skip a payment, in some cases forgive a payment, help them with you know new money. A lot of what we see businesses need right now is an infusion of cash. And also uh, launching a very robust webinars and one-on-one coaching around financial and technical assistance. So helping people understand how do you restructure your business? How do you keep clients? How do you manage through the COVID crisis? Financial, tax, legal advice, how to manage human resource and, you know, layoff aversion. So that's kind of in a nutshell what what we've been doing for the last, gosh, 10 or 11 weeks now. Uh, Miko, can you tell us about Gold Rush and what you guys are doing, what your focus was before the crisis and how you've evolved your approach? 
Yeah, definitely. So just to give a context about Gold Rush, so Gold Rush is an accelerator for the most promising Asian founders. And so we support these founders in three main ways. And so the first being amplification. So think we do semi-annual sales and we do ongoing editorial promotions. The second being acceleration. So think new business developments, opportunities, whether through it's connecting these founders with potential investors or leveraging strategic partnerships. And last is community. We're really here to build the biggest and strongest tribe of like-minded founders who truly want to co-elevate together. And, and so that's kind of the structure of where we've kind of have done work for Gold Rush. And I will say to answer your question about like, what was your work pre-COVID and post-COVID, they have kind of changed. And so to just kind of talk a little bit first about pre-COVID, so from just going back to the three amplification, acceleration, and community, you know, from the amplification standpoint, we, we do host that same annual sale. The last one was in March earlier this year, where we celebrated and promoted 27 food and beverage brands and saw 30% lift compared to their average sales. From an acceleration standpoint, we host several networking opportunities for our founders to meet investors and funds, actually quite like the opportunity fund, to be honest, to really raise capital and to really take them to the next level. And from a community standpoint, once these founders have really gone through the program, we truly integrate them within the Gold House Network, and they're able to access our membership, their resources, the experiences, and really include them into this movement to really uplift our community. And so that was kind of pre-COVID. And I would say... Post-COVID, we, it has changed a lot. I think, if anything, though, I think we've definitely expanded our scope and offering to not only our founders, but also to brands outside of the program. And so to provide context as well here is Gold Rush has historically only focused on brands within, the, within our program. And so, however, due to kind of the pervasive impact of the coronavirus, you know, we felt the need to really expand our offering to, to entrepreneurs and brands that were truly suffering from the impact of COVID-19. And so the way we were able to do this is to leverage these strategic and creative partnerships. Uh, just a couple examples is you know, the first is with a partnership with Postmates. We were able to really expand what we did for the sale for our brands to brick and mortar stores within SF and LA and New York. And, and in addition, you know, hosting, I think, these salons and experiences where not only do our founders get to meet other founders, but they get to meet founders that are experiencing the same difficulties and that are, that are being affected by the, this pandemic. And then similarly, I think like as uh, the Opportunity Fund is doing is, you know, creating kind of this relief fund, we were also able to identify some of the brands that were going through a little bit of financial difficulties and connect them with generous Gold House donors to provide interest-free loans. I think not only it has this economic impact has changed our program and expanded our offering, but I think there has been a really large focus on the community aspect. And so a lot of our founders have been incredible in creating and participating in various relief projects, such as donating to local hospitals, such as Junzi, or working on an antibody test, such as Scandal Health, or even just creating and like donating PPE, such as like Probable and uh, CropSticks, et cetera. You know, I think to, to, to talk about community, that, you know, I think the power of community isn't just really helping each other, it's really helping each other to help others. And, you know, that's really what I want to foster in our community within Gold Rush. Miko, I have a question for yeah. you. I had a conversation recently with an Asian founder and his partners yes. are all Asian and mm -hmm. they've launched um, a very promising and 
actually already successful company, but because of the current anti-Asian sentiment, they're actually hiding the fact that it is an all Asian run company. So I'm wondering if this has impacted what you're doing and are you hearing from Asian founders saying, we, we don't even want to say that we're Asian founders? I haven't heard that particularly, but my message to really these people who are doing well and are Asian run, it's to help others. I think like the reason why Goldrush is built is to really foster that community, right? A lot of these businesses just started or emerging really need that support and guidance, right? And that's what I think the Goldrush program is trying to offer is like, here is someone who's been in the industry for 10 years, you're doing super well. Here are some resources, guidance, and mentorship that can really accelerate you. Or if I don't know the answer, let's band together and, and think creatively about how to get through these trying times, right? I think I haven't heard that people don't want to reveal their Asian-ness. I mean, I think we all have kind of seen some articles about the hit that Asian American businesses are taking and things from like as high as 80% of losses in customers, that is a really big testament to the xenophobia side. And I think that's also kind of a testament as to why I think this community is more important. And just to kind of like highlight that part, I think everyone knows that there is kind of this like big economic impact. Like it's just a no-brainer there. But I also think there's really this big mental health impact that is a byproduct of that which is why I think community is so important, not only just our community, but all communities, right? And I think the reason why Gold Rush and, and a lot of different orgs right now are trying to provide experiences to salons is to provide a platform where these founders can have a voice and to talk not only to their peers, but also to a larger community. So, I mean, I would tell them to, to help out. <laughs> So Luz, let's, um, let's go back to the PPP. How are you feeling about how the loans have been distributed? Do you feel they've been distributed fairly? What Can you talk to us about what the businesses that you work with have experienced trying to get the small business loans? I mentioned a little bit at the beginning, but 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 I'll provide you know more detail. So there was the first round, as you all heard, and that was a, a rough ride. That was a disaster, right? Because just for starters, sole proprietors, independent contractors were not part of the first round of funding. They were the guidelines for those types of businesses was not laid out. And so the first part of the program was administered pretty much to larger businesses, right? Minority, immigrant, low-income, women-owned businesses, they didn't have a chance because all of those funds were sent through banks. And banks maintain relationships with businesses, and our borrowers don't maintain relationships with banks in general. And so then came the second round, right? The second round was a little bit better, a little bumpy at the beginning, but a little bit better. I will tell you that in the first round, we were incredibly frustrated as well because we were not an SBA lender. And so because of that, we could not access the PPP program and we really couldn't apply to become a PPP lender. On the second round, we were able to apply and we got the approval. Also, the second round was then directed to businesses, to banks that had less than $10 billion in assets and CDFIs. But the reality is that 97% of banks in America are under $10 billion. So again, all the banks also were part of this second round. But when we got you know, the, the opportunity to become a lender, we really have gone out. We send out 3,000 emails to existing customers. In, in the first round, I will tell you that 
we had so many businesses coming to us that couldn't get a loan. And so we started to refer them to other partners that were doing PPP loans. So we were able to take care of the first round, you know, for some of our borrowers. The second round, not only did we start doing our own loans, and we, by this week, will probably have done close to $10 million worth of loans. And to give you an idea, an average loan size for us is about $16,000. In the second round, the average loan size is about $73,000 for the entire group of lenders. So our loans are for, again, very, very, very small businesses. They're not huge, but they're really, you know, for the mom and pops, right? The, the businesses that really require just a little bit of money uh, and that have daily huge impacts in our community. So it is very disappointing because the businesses that need this money the most did not get them. And the horror stories that we hear is that businesses have applied some other places and they just sit and wait to hear for someone to call them to let them know the status of their loan. And so with us, you know, they've had like a one-on-one relationship. We've had people working literally 24-7, trying to get all these applications through, trying to get the loans approved. And uh, we've received an enormous amount of very inspiring emails from folks that said, I don't know what we would have done without you. We've dispersed loans as little as $4,000. And if you think about PPP was covering two and a half months of salary, some folks Ask for $4,000. Some of us are sole proprietors. That's equivalent to two and a half months of their pay. Those folks were not served by the large financial institutions. So without community development financial institutions like Opportunity Fund that were able to participate in PPP, I have no idea what these small businesses are doing. Alicia, just a quick follow-up on that. You did get PPP loans, right? And can you tell us a little bit more about how you've managed to you know, keep your employees employed and how you've managed to just keep going? Yeah, I think like when this starts, the three payrolls that I have before I received my PP loan was really stressful. And I just want to, you know, to get whatever work and save this money for my payroll. It was really, really hard. But as soon as I received this PPP loan, it's like, a, let me... I start to review all my new accounts right now. I'm knocking doors in new markets, retails, and and I think that I already I am approved by William Sonoma. We are going to start to work with them, and it's really frustrated. But like Luz said, that there they have like a financial coaching. I'm taking this program, and uh, the, my coach is helping me to review again my uh, cash flow. And, and honestly, the, this loan just gives me more relief as well as opportunity funds, give me the opportunity in my payments that I owe them about my loans. It's a, you know, payments relief for these couple months and help me to get this money for my payroll. <laughs> Alicia, uh, we also had a story about you in San Francisco Magazine, if you remember, when you were selected for Chase Center and also detailing your experience through La Cocina, which is a chef incubator based in the mission. And I was wondering if being part of the La Cocina family of restaurants has helped you in any way navigate this pandemic. You know, have they provided resources for you or have all the La Cocina uh, restaurants come together and kind of shared your resources and and experiences? Yeah, you know, like um, my first 
non-profit organization was La Cocina. Then I have three more, like Opportunity Funds. But honestly, like Opportunity Funds is La Cocina. Is, uh, we have a meeting every single Tuesday, and they give us a lot of resources too. Plus, they are do, doing some fundraisings that they uh, split this this money through all, all of us, you know, the incubator people and the graduated. So that's helped us a lot. And they are just behind us, you know, like uh, taking care of that we follow up all the um, health rules. And it's, it's really helpful. They, they really take care of us right now, too. Uh-huh. Great. So we are um, running a little bit short on time, but I just wanted to ask um, both Luz and Miko, can you each talk about how you think this crisis will affect the businesses that you work with in the long term? I think that this is going to be, it's going to be both bad, of course, and, and potentially transformational, right? So Obviously, the devastation is real. You know, businesses have had to shut down. Uh, a lot of them have already gone out of business, might not be able to reopen. And this is impacting, you know, the families, the business owners, the communities in which they operate. I mean, we see it every day as we drive around, right? And we see these desolate neighborhoods. So that part is very tragic. And we're seeing it with some of our small businesses where They're just hanging by their nails, trying to keep their businesses open. I think that some businesses are also taking this opportunity to pivot. I think Alicia is an example and many, many others who are thinking, how can we refocus? How can we transform our business? And taking this as an opportunity to sort of build the next generation, whether it's going to digital channels, whether it's expanding into other lines of businesses whether it's learning a new trade, taking new classes, following some other passion that they had. I think that we are going to see transformation of businesses. If we sit here, you know, a year, two years from now, and we look at the financial statements or the business plan of a business pre-COVID and after COVID, for the many thousands that we hope will make it and that we believe they will, I think they're going to look very different. And in the way they manage their finances and the way they manage their customer acquisition channels and distribution, their marketing, their capital raising, their product lines. So hopefully someone said, let's not let a crisis go to waste. I think that a lot of folks are taking this crisis and this opportunity to sort of rebuild, you know, and, and, and pivot their, their businesses in positive ways. And Miko, same question. Yeah. So I, I mean, I really want to echo, she's said definitely kind of what uh, a lot of the trends are going to happen. I think for, from an accelerator standpoint and for managing our portfolio companies, like I think it's important for us to understand that everyone's going to be doing exactly that, how to pivot, how to change the business model, how to, how to market better, how to market differently. And so I think for at least the accelerator standpoint, it's how do we really support them in that transition, right? Is, is it bringing in transformational leaders who can kind of walk them through? Is it us sitting down and building a catered experience for them where we walk them through the beginning and then we bring in kind of inspirational speakers and workshops and seminars where they can kind of build and grow, right? And and I think to, to echo a little bit more about like the, the economic impact, I do think we are going to feel this kind of economic impact probably for years, to be honest. And, you know, but I think on another side is 
especially since the community, you know, I've talked about this a lot, but there is, there is this kind of like health impact that I do really want to manage between our programs itself is that we want to be able to kind of provide not only the, the experience and programming for that transition into pivoting models and then also sustaining that and accelerating that growth, but also from the founders and the people themselves. Like how do we help them through that transition from what they're experiencing in their personal and daily lives and then how do we help them sustain and move forward as well? So I think from both assets, from the economic and from the, the health impact standpoint, that's probably where our program essentially will need to adjust and cater essentially to our founders. Well, thank you, Luz. Thank you, Alicia. And thank you, Miko. This was a very interesting conversation. And we, Alicia, we wish you the best. And um, Luz and Miko, thank you for what you're doing for small businesses. Yeah, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you you so so much much for for having us. Very nice to see you all. Take care and be well. You as well. Thank you. Thank Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Well, it was good to hear and see Alicia um, today. I'm glad that she has been able to get the loans and the help that she needs, not only to keep her business going, but to also keep her employees employed. Like she said, she has a couple dozen employees in the Bay Area who have families to support. Yeah, I I thought about her too, because as we both have written about her before, and so I was worried because all of these restaurateurs and entrepreneurs that launched just before the pandemic, you know, were just about to launch something amazing and then the pandemic hit. And to see them have to face that so early on in their business is is really tragic. But I, I love how she's been innovative and how she's pivoted and how she's been able to keep her staff. That's really going to be the key for, for a lot of small businesses moving forward if they move forward is how have they been able to pivot. And and I was really interested, as you know, I run a nonprofit. I had no chance yeah. for a PPP. I was denied right away. But we need resources and able to get any in order to get services out to the community. And so I was really interested just um, from that point of view as an owner of a nonprofit that runs as a business. Yeah. And the other thing, um, and we will be exploring this in our story that will go with this podcast, is just to see um, how many minorities and immigrants are small business owners and the amount of minorities and immigrants they employ as well. I mean, they're job creators, you know? So with a record unemployment rate and all the hardships that we are facing, it'll be interesting to see how it really does affect the minority and immigrant community. Yeah, I'd be really interested to see the demographic breakdown of who got um, help and, and who was left to figure it out on their own. Okay, well, thanks again for listening to Race and Coronavirus. Next time, we will be examining technology and the role it's playing um, in this pandemic and the effect of it on minorities and immigrants. Check us out on raceandcoronavirus.com. Please subscribe to our newsletter and listen to our future podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.